Our scripture lesson for this day is actually in the hymnal. I'm going to ask your assistance in reading it. It's on page 795 and continues on the 796. Psalm 72. We will not use the musical responses. We'll simply read together responsively. And I would ask you to please stand as you are able as we read Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God. May he judge your people with righteousness. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May his foes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the Isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Saba bring gifts. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. And saves the lives of the needy. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. And may they blossom forth in the cities like the grass of the field. Says the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. The more time I spent hanging out with Psalm 72 recently, the more I felt like it was appropriate for this Independence Sunday. As the first verse suggests, Psalm 72 originated as a prayer for the king. It's difficult to date the psalm with certainty, but it's likely it was written for use at the coronation of kings in Jerusalem who were in the royal line of King David. Obviously, the psalm continued to be used when there were no longer kings in Israel. Such ongoing use was possible because what Psalm 72 prays for ultimately is the establishment of God's reign and God's will and God's rule for the world. So the door was left open for the psalm to be interpreted in terms of a coming Messiah. And as a Christian, it's difficult for me to read Psalm 72 without an image of Jesus the Christ appearing on my screen. It reminds me of a coming Messiah. After the initial command, the psalm continues with a series of verbs that can be translated as either objective fact or petitions in a prayer. 
Verse 4, for example, the New International Version reads, He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. And the New Revised Standard Version, the version that's in our hymnal that we read a moment ago, reads, May he defend the cause of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. One of them's like a stated fact, he will defend, and the other one comes across as a prayer. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. But that ambiguity and that confusion here in this line of the psalm is, is okay. Psalm 72 probably functioned as a charge or a challenge to the king and to the ruler, but also as words of comfort, words of strength a standard for the ruler, a prayer for the new king. It set a standard for the behavior of the ruler, this psalm did, and it calls us to pray for the ruler. Two topics that are worthy of our consideration in our time together this Independence Day weekend. Concerning standards, according to one writer, perhaps the most obvious observation to make about Psalm 72 is the disparity between its portrayal of the king and the actual behavior of the kings of Israel and Judah, the northern and the southern kingdoms. They didn't always measure up to the standards, did they? Read through that part of the Old Testament where the kings are listed. And so many of the kings went in the wrong direction, went the wrong way, went away from God. But every now and then a king would be raised up who would do the will of God and care for the people. Leaders in ancient times, in our time and every time, leaders have been caught between the disparity, the standards of what should be and what they actually are living and leading. And we need not look far into the pages of recorded history to find example after example after example of this, where what should be is not always what is. What are some of the standards for kings, or rulers or leaders in that time and right now? What are some of the standards that seem to bubble up out of Psalm 72? Let me give you just a few of those. Maybe you heard more when we were reading it together. Number one, leaders should judge God's people with righteousness and the poor with justice. Number two, to defend the cause of the poor and to give deliverance to the needy and crush the oppressor. How many times in the Psalms and how many times in the prophets are we called to defend and to care for the poor over and over and over again? Yet somehow those things get neglected all too often. Number three, to do those things that make for peace. Number four, to take pity on the weak. Number five, rulers should ensure an adequate food supply according to this psalm. Number six, they should maintain a good name. And number seven, bring blessings to others. Patrick Miller says the way to peace and well-being is found only when power assumes responsibility for justice and is clothed in compassion, regarding as precious and valuable the life of every person in the land. There's much more that needs to be said about standards here, but it's Communion Sunday, and this train needs to roll on down the track toward our second topic, and that is praying 
for our leaders. That's a call in this psalm. This psalm is a prayer for leaders. It's so obvious, I think, when we think about it for more than a moment or two. We have an awesome, weighty responsibility as God's people, as God's church, to lift our leaders up day after day after day. All of our leaders, yes. But on this weekend in particular, I believe we need to be focusing on lifting up our national leaders, our current leaders, leaders in the days to come. Pray that they might close the gap between the standards and the actual behaviors. Pray that they might live up to that call on their lives. I fear that too often across the years, too many times, I have spent more time criticizing and condemning my leaders than I have in praying for them. And I've got a feeling I'm not the only one here who's guilty of that sin. How is it with you on this account? Regardless of who that leader or who that person is, how are we doing? And praying for them. A moment ago, we listed some of the standards set forth for a leader in Psalm 72. And perhaps we should pray that God will help them to attain and maintain these standards. To judge with righteousness and justice. To watch over the needy and those who are oppressed and put down. To work for peace. To ensure adequate access to food and clothing and shelter, basic needs. To maintain a good name. And to always, the standard that all leaders are called to, to always be looking to the good of others before our own needs and our own desires. Our leaders are like us in too many ways. It's always been true, hasn't it? Hard heads and hearts of stone and feet of clay. How can we expect them to rise above the limits of their humanity and to claim all the power and strength of their humanity unless we pray for them? July the 4th weekend reminds us to pray for these folks. It is not the only day we should pray for them. I hope you don't hear that being said. I hope that's not your practice. I need to guard against that as well. We need to pray for these folk every day, even if we don't approve of everything that they say and do. We never will. They have a rightful place, whoever they are. They have a rightful place on our prayer list. And I hope you'll keep them there. We may be number one as a nation economically, and militarily and otherwisely. But if we are ignoring the most vulnerable among us, if we are failing to act justly and righteously, then all of our might will never make us right. But if we do what's right, we'll never run short of power and might. Loved Weems, one of my writers that i followed across the years, a friend of mine gave me a book of his in 1976 in my earliest days in this ministry. I still go back to that book and I read other things that he continues to write. He said, if a nation loses its moral and spiritual base, then no amount of military hardware can save it. 
And he goes on to say that a nation's preoccupation with force may be a sign of its moral failures and insecurities. Force becomes a nation's only weapons, he said, because it has no better weapons. So what we must strive for in the future is a balance, he wrote, between physical strength, between weapons and military forces, and spiritual strength, moral integrity, and ideals. A balance between these, always. Former President John Kennedy wrote a poem called I Look Forward, and he spoke to this issue. The first section reads like this, just a, just a couple of his sentences. He said, I look forward to a great future for America, a future in which our country will match its military strength with moral strength, its wealth with our wisdom, its power with our purpose. Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, had a hope that as a nation, our wisdom would always grow with our power and teach us that the less we use our power, the greater it will be. Keep the standards high. Pray for our leaders. Remember the example set by the greatest leader of all time. The one who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Our greatest leader, you might remember, conquered not with force and might, but he knelt down and washed the feet of his friends. Might doesn't always make right, but right always makes might. Amen.